You're listening to DraftKings Network. Football's back, and Whole Foods Market is everything you need for a delicious tailgater watch party. Level up your game day hosting with marinated chicken wings, chicken sausages, hot dogs, and more. Headed to a friend's house? On the way, grab crowd-pleasing snacks from Whole Foods Market, like late-July tortilla chips and Primal Kitchen queso dip. And don't forget the beer. Very important. Just check out that local selection. Elevate game day with Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. It gives them a good opportunity, but it also is like a lower floor, higher ceiling, lower floor. Wait, higher floor, lower ceiling. Yeah, because it's easier. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it's harder. Right. No, if it's a higher less range, we're we're giving them all the range. No, no. But if it's a high. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the floor should be low and the ceiling should be low. So you can fall really far down and you don't have to go very high. Maybe we should just live in nature. Maybe we should with no walls. We don't need boundaries. The ceiling is the roof. Michael Jordan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. And as always, I'm joined by someone who is perhaps the strongest person I know. Not only did she have to deal with a Boston Bruins round one exit, she has valiantly persevered through a Celtics exit as well and still comes out bringing you the style rankings you need and deserve as humanity. Sarah Sivian, legitimately, I ask, (laughs) how are you today? All I have to say is don't let them let us win game eight. They're just resting up for game eight. I am, at least they can't hurt me anymore. I got very emotionally invested in the Celtics this year. It was my first year back in Boston when they were on a playoff run. Me and my dad watch the Celtics. We always have grown up watching the Celtics together and that was our little thing. And now we run a podcast that is operated by people that are big Miami Heat people. So we had to chirp back and forth. Some would say it was all in good fun. I don't know if I would. And that is all I have to say. (laughs) Goodbye. Well, and we would not be too many men without, again, another opportunity to look at the YouTube, although I'm not at my best. We're twinning, Shayna. It is. It is. Maroon. Oh, there it is. The Taylor Swift reference we needed. Shayna, did you know that's a Taylor Swift song? No. I didn't think so. But more importantly, it is our birthday girl, the beautiful and maroon t-shirt wearing Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hi. Hi. So great to have you too. Well, let's get into it right away. Sarah, what time is it? Bit-O News. Bit-O News, my friends. As the number of games goes down, the number of off-ice activities start to heat up. And so we wanted to spend some time in Bit-O News talking about what is commonly referred to the coaching carousel. We know there are a ton of openings. As we record this, there are only a couple hirings, but they're not without interest. So let's start in the Metro with the Washington Capitals, who hired Spencer Carberry, who was two years into being an assistant coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs. This will be his first time as an NHL head coach. But interestingly, he's returning to an organization that knows him well because the Capitals were the organization that made him a first-time AHL head coach for their affiliate, the Hershey Bears. Uh, It would be interesting to see what happens here because another assistant Leafs coach who went on to, well, it took a little bit some success is Dave Hackstall in Seattle. We now have another Leafs coach leaving the organization, particularly at a time of change. Sarah, have you had any opportunity to dig into this hire? How does it look to you in terms of how it can help the Capitals going into next year with some interesting roster looks and decisions maybe still pending? Yeah, I think that gives him the the way you're talking about the roster decisions and the spot where the Capitals are right now. It gives him like, how does he want to look at it? Is this an opportunity for him to actually make a name for himself? Because I think he could in an environment where there's going to be an emphasis on coaching. And if he has a good season, it looks extra good. You know what I mean? It's like this is not your mother's Capitals. So (laughs) I think it gives him a good opportunity, but it also is like a lower Floor, higher ceiling, lower floor. Wait, higher floor, lower ceiling. 
Yeah, because it's yeah. easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's harder. Right. No, if it's a it higher less range, we're, we're giving them all giving the less... range. No, no. But if it's a high, oh, I don't know. Maybe the floor should be low and the ceiling should be low. So you can fall really far <laughs> down and you don't have to go very high. Maybe we should just live in nature. Maybe we should with no walls. <laughs> we don't need boundaries. We don't need the ceiling is the roof. Michael Jordan, <laughs> Spencer Carberry. <laughs> Anyways. All right, Shana, how does this move look to you? Do you have any insight on now? We know there's a lot of moving pieces on the Leafs and we'll get to that. But is this a bigger loss for the Leafs or is this such a huge hire for the Caps that this that outweighs the loss for the Leafs, do you think? Um, I think it's a bigger gain for the Caps because I think the Leafs, I wasn't overly impressed with him, like tactically with the Leafs. And I think when you have a ton of talent, those tactics aren't, I don't want to say aren't as important, but you can kind of let those players like rove and like decide how to run a power play themselves a little bit. I think the thing for me is I'm kind of curious how he differs between being like a bench manager, how he was in the AHL versus a tactician, which he was with the Leafs. And it seemed like he had a ton of success in the AHL. And that's why you know, many have pegged him as this like up and coming coach. So I kind of like it because it does feel like the Capitals are truly rebuilding on the fly by definition. They're doing it better than a lot of teams did with how they worked at the deadline and it extends behind the bench. So I like the consistency there. And I think it was like a good bet to make for where they are and what they're trying to be. Should be interesting. And you raise a good point. And Sarah, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts here, if you have some, and just, we've talked about this at many levels and people talk about it all the time, but it is a big ask forget the team, forget the talent, but in terms of what your role is going from an assistant coach to a head coach, do we know enough about this man, us? We are obviously not covering him individually every single day for his career, but, or maybe just generally, have you seen challenges for a person who has to make that leap? It's a good opportunity to see where we're at with the coaching carousel, right? It's like, okay, how much of an impact does it make when you have somebody make that jump and you bet on them and you say, okay, I'm going to take a step away from the coaching carousel and try something new. Will it have different results? I think that will tell us more than the same old hires tell us. But at the same time, we do not know that much about this man. So we don't have that much to go off, but we're going to learn a lot. So I'm, I'm here for that journey. This not, I thought you were going to tie this to Rod Brindamore. I was waiting for him. Like, well, you know, one of the most successful coaches out there, you could go to Bednar Cooper route, which is a very successful AHL coach, which he is, check. Or you could be Rod Brindamore, the longest tenured current coach who was a former assistant or associate. So check on that. I thought that's where we were going. When you put it like that, though, it does show that you can't just be like, oh, this guy in his, yeah, here we go. You got me going. Oh, this guy in his system haven't yielded the best results. It's like he will finally get a chance to do what I think it's different because it's not from, well, actually, yeah, he was in their system. I, I'm learning about Spencer Carberry. Okay, people. That's good. Um, we have a whole off season. So I think it will be interesting to see the jump for sure. And I do think that it gives somebody an opportunity to kind of use the same system but to their way and do the you know when you are underneath a boss and you're like boss man there's so many things that i would do differently in your position it kind of like it's not regurgitating the same things always i want to see how what he's like with players i mean the hershey bears are like a very storied yep. ahl team so i yep. think they take that role seriously so i would trust them now hire Bruce Boudreau to coach the Hershey Bears. Well, step down for him. Let him be home. Let him have a good time. Oh, my God. Yeah. It would be cute. Well, let's, okay. Let's come back now, too. There's still some other NHL hirings to talk about. And this one, I want to talk about the hiring, but I also want to talk a little bit about the how this went down, because we've been talking about it in our chat as just having some interest about what really happened here. Let's get right to brass tacks. Finally, Andrew Brunette was announced as head coach upcoming of the Nashville Predators. This was announced by Kevin Weeks on, if I get my day straight, because it's a holiday weekend and who's to say, Tuesday, um, before the organization had made any sort of hire, basically a coach finding out he's fired via social media and Kevin Weeks. And it's also an interesting wrinkle, right? Because this is Barry Trotz's one of his um, opening moves as he takes over for GM for the Predators. And this is a man who used to be an NHL head coach. So he does understand kind of the ramifications of not knowing um, what's going to be happening with your job. So before we get into it, let's talk about the how this went down, because I find it interesting from a media perspective. And we've talked about on this show 
how much we like Kevin Weeks and I think he's great. Um, but I think when, you know, this is part of why I'm so glad I'm not an insider or like a breaking news person, because I wonder if he thought the announcement was coming or if he jumped the gun a little bit too much, because this is why I couldn't do this job. It would be really hard for me to struggle with doing something when I got it versus respecting the humanity involved. And maybe you can't when you're an insider. I don't know. Um, but that would have been the challenge for me. Sarah, what impacted you the most in terms of the process of how this has all gone down? I know I've thought about this a lot and I have come to the conclusion that Weeks was just doing his job. And I think the Predators had to be better and better at communicating with themselves, within themselves and with the head coach. That being said, I'm sure they're not thrilled with Weeks. And you could tell, and I'm not discrediting Weeks because he has been one of the top insiders at this point. And I think he is maybe gunning for number one, especially with like the interesting ways he presents things and the way he's not afraid. I mean, you kind of saw it for better or for worse. You're going to make mistakes in this space when you're starting out. It's how you kind of handle the mistakes, I think. But I don't think this is a mistake. I think we have to be better as NHL media. And I think a lot of NHL media might have been sleeping on this info. And you could kind of see it in the way they like did showcase the info after Kevin did just kind of like quote winning him being like, he said it first. Usually they're like credit to this guy, but like they literally quote tweeted his video and was like, he said it first. But I, I think it is a fine line between, okay, being friends with the front offices and getting these scoops and doing your job. But I have all the respect for someone who's like, okay, I'm going to get this info that I heard to the people. No, that's a really interesting point. I like that a lot. So to that point, Shana, what about this process maybe did you take note of? And is this one of, and look, we all learn on every job we have every single day, no one's perfect, but is this maybe one of a few very important lessons to Sarah's point for Barry Trotz and, and how to manage media, how to manage news, how to manage personnel and what is maybe sometimes, unfortunately, a really public marketplace? Yeah, I feel like in the NHL, a lot of teams are probably super comfortable with the fact that this stuff isn't going to get reported unless they want it to be re reported. There's so much stuff that comes out three seconds before a team tweets it out. So, I mean, there's got to be some coordination there. And like in the NBA, nobody gives a shit. If there's news, it's being reported. That's your job. You want to be first. That's your that's your value. If you want to be an insider is having the information early and being right. So the thing that we don't know, I don't think. I'm assuming we don't know, um, is that we don't know that Hines doesn't know he was fired, correct? Like, it just wasn't that's true. public. You're correct. So that, yeah, that's, a great that's, point. A, that's what I hope was the case because it's like a courtesy thing. You don't want to find out that you're fired off social media, but like that, to a point, isn't Kevin Weeks's problem. His job is to report and to beat the others and to be like, hey, I'm, and he hasn't been doing it as long as everybody else too. So there is something to prove, I'm sure. And, you know, Everyone gets super like competitive when they get beat to the punch. So it, it's always funny to see. I also kind of laugh to it, like the way some were like, oh, this is a misstep by Barry Trotz. And if they're willing to insult like a coach or GM, it's like they must have wronged them at some point if they were actually willing to say something. But it's a lesson for Trotz, because if Hines wasn't informed, this is information that's going to get out. Um, it's not you can't trust your front office. It's just you have to remember that because you've been in this position before. But when you look at the hire itself, I do like it for Trotz. And I liked what he said. We need offense. So we're going to bring an offense. And Trotz is a coach, a GM, sorry, is a person, is a hockey mind. <laughs> I would trust to spot defensive talent to go, I will bring in the defensive support for you. You work on the offensive tactics. You can teach defensive structure, but we need someone who can legitimately bring the offense, which has been a weakness of Trotz's team in the past. And it's been a weakness of the actual Predators. So like that combination at least does make sense. When you bring up Trotz, that's a great point of why my main good thing feeling about him when he started this GM role after being a coach for so many years was how is he gonna communicate to the media because he has been friendly with so many members of the media and he knows how to bridge that gap between the media and the front office so this was a little maybe unexpected it really depends like did Heinz know that's kind of is unexpected for me yeah no that's a great point and Sarah you know you just mentioned too like we talk about the carousel maybe going differently off the carousel this is a technically a retread, but not a retread, 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 retread hire. And, you know, we talked a lot last year about how Brunette, maybe we saw some of his failings with how Florida performed, particularly in the postseason. This is an opportunity for him to show us 
what has changed for someone who used to be his former coach. We dropped that little nugget. We didn't drop that little nugget. The Barry Trotz used to coach the man and that Brunette scored, I believe, the first goal in Predators franchise history or something like that. Something like that. It was the first playoff goal, the first regular season goal. I don't know what, but it was something like monumental for them. (laughs) We don't know what it is, but it was monumental. (laughs) It was a big deal. It was a big deal at the time. (laughs) Sarah, what do you expect from this coach with his second attempt at being behind the bench? Yeah, he was great with the Devils power play, as Shayna wrote throughout the season. I always thought he deserved better from the Panthers, but hey, we got to eat our words on Paul Maurice. But I do think he maybe needed one more year to kind of establish himself because the way he took over with the Panthers was okay. Let, no tea, no shade, but we kind of want like a established head coach. So he took a year, assistant coach, took it on. I mean, had a golf cart incident, but now he is back in race. I'm really excited to see him cook. Um, I've always really liked him as a coach, and I thought he was good for the Panthers, obviously. And I, I like a younger guy making a name for him. So I don't know. You know, I'm always team brunette where, for whatever reason. He has some charisma to me that I just love, and I like to see what he does on the power play. So I think it's good with trots, like Shayna said. Amazing. <laughs> I like how we still are completely opposite our takes on him too. Like with Florida, I like how you've stood by like, no, he was good with Florida. And I look at it and I'm like, I was ass handed to him in Florida. No. I think it's too funny, but I like no. your points. I don't know what it is. I refuse to back down on that. All right. Well, we had uh, not thought we needed this segment, but we actually do. Shana, what time is it? The hockey world demands it. Everybody craves it. It's time for How Does It Affect the Leafs? It is time for How Does It Affect the Leafs? My goodness gracious, if we needed more confirmation that the entire Leafs front office is listening to too many men, we got it because as we prepared for the show, we were like, you know, not a lot is happening in Leafs world. There's just some rumblings. There's not a lot of official news. And as we went to record, people, as we went to record, Brendan Shanahan said, ladies, I bring you this gift. I announce the hiring of our next GM, and that is Brad Living, who recently departed the Calgary Flames. That is extinguished, and now he grows anew in Toronto. Grows into a nice maple leaf tree. Exactly. Listen, you can't make, it can't be two on the nose. He just has to can't grow be two. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I like that knowledge is power, but the passion is more powerful for us right now. Sarah, what do you think of this hire? Um, I think. On one hand, you can't judge a GM success based on if they got out of the second round X amount of times. But how is this a step up from Kyle Dubas in that respect? Because that's how we always judge beliefs. I know I think he did it twice in nine years, whereas Dubas did it once. But I also don't think this was the change that needed to be made for the Leafs. But I keep going off about that. And it seems like someone is preying on Kyle's downfall just based on like everything that's come out after and reports of conflicts of interest with his agent and stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe there is a conflict of interest or a no-no or an unwritten rule, but for that to come out right after he was fired, was he fired or did they go their separate ways? It's like, we're never the jargon. It's been, it's been left professionally kind and that it's not been specified. Yeah. But then in some articles, you do see the word fired use, which I'm like, who well, is wrong? Yeah, we'll never know. We'll, we'll never, never know. know. We'll Unless Kyle wants things. to talk to okay, us about this it. This is not how does this affect Kyle Dubas. This is how does yeah. this affect the Leafs. But Kyle, so if you want to join the podcast, we know you're listening. Tell us what you think he can do. I just don't. He can trade away Matthew Kachuk. That's what he could do. Wow. Well, maybe he's going to trade away another Matthew in Shana? Austin. Shayna, that's what I wanted to ask you. This is This is actually one of the soundest arguments I've heard about this hire is that people are saying this is a GM who did just go through, I don't even want to say mismanagement because I don't know that I know enough to say that, but ended up allowing a big ticket star to walk and then making some other big trades under duress in Calgary. And Toronto could be facing similar issues with their core four potentially being needed to be shaken up. Is that a big driver why True Living is here now with Toronto? Yeah, I feel like he's probably viewed. The, the weird thing is that it was literally a one-person race. It does feel like, but like 
if that's what they're narrowing in on. This is someone who can make the big decisions. And even with like Johnny Gaudreau, it was like knowing to let him walk because it was never going to happen and like doing everything you can, but, you know, avoiding that same situation with Kachuk by trading him. And they did get a lot back for him. It was a huge trade. And obviously, if you lose the best player, you're probably not going to win the trade. But he did what he had to do if the player didn't want to stay, right? So he made the tough decisions, right, wrong, or sideways. It's just the other flaws that I'm like, you know, you look at what he's done, you go, he, this is someone who signed a lot of contracts to players at the wrong timeline. You look at like Tenev and Markstrom and giving them a lot of money. And Uyghur, although I don't mind that contract as much, and Huberto, these big contracts at the wrong times, which is so opposite of the Leafs that it's going to be interesting to see like how that changes. But at the end of the day, he made the tough decisions to a point. This was a coach who chose not to change, I'm sorry, GM who chose not to change his coach. And I think that could have changed the trajectory of his team this year too. So while he made some tough decisions, there were others he stood down to that I don't understand. Look at Sarah, poised to talk, go. I wonder what he can do with the Leafs resources that they do have, right? Because I think when you talk about the Leafs, it affects, this is why we have the section, how does this affect the Leafs? Because they do have just better resources than other Teams in the NHL, teams, I, I think we'll see with drafting. I mean, he drafted Adam Fox. Adam Fox did not end up signing, but he did trade him to the Canes for other things. So I think that was kind of a, a shifty move. I don't know. I We'll see how he is with drafting, but. Yeah, they have like no picks right now. So yeah. that's like, you're not walking into an easy situation. Well, this this will be interesting. Obviously, the announcement has just come out, so I'm sure we'll hear more from availabilities and press conferences to follow. And obviously, we'll be able to, uh, what is it called, next day quarterback? We're bad on our idioms today, guys. Uh, you had the burning in the tree, so we're fine. I know. We'll be we'll be. Well, that's a pun. I'm talking about what's the, you yeah. know, the idiom for like, you know, when you backseat quarterback or whatever the hell it is. Backseat drive this for forever. <laughs> Who knows? I don't well, know. Well, isn't that's not it the backseat? There's another, there's backseat quarterbacking is there's, no, no, it's, it's not, not backseat. backseat. You're not backseat armchair, driving. Armchair, there's armchair, armchair quarterbacking. quarterbacking. That's armchair what it is. Armchair driving, backseat quarterbacking. This is, this is a mess. All right. So we do just want to touch on quickly because now that we have actually forced ourselves to dive back into how does this affect the Leafs? We didn't force anything. Sarah, Sarah touched on uh, Kyle Dubas. We don't know. Uh, what his status may or may not be. There was a lot of rumor that none of us found. We're just reading it just like all of you are, um, that he might be going to Pittsburgh. But, you know, the more I thought about it, you know, for me, if I'm Kyle Dubas, there could be other organizations potentially interested in you. And I think Pittsburgh may not be as lucrative as people think. You know, we talked about the Toronto situation. I don't know that I want to deal with the situation in Pittsburgh right now. That's a different kind of core that you have to deal with of players who have earned and deserve respect that they arguably haven't been getting. Um, but you still have to get this team ready for what comes next. And again, this is a team that their cupboards aren't exactly chock full of options of what to do. We don't know what Dubas is going to do. There's, of course, the personal aspect. We know how important his family was to him, even in Toronto. And to pick up your entire family and move from Canada to the U.S. can be a big change. So we don't know anything finite but if you had to have a gut pick, Sarah, do you think Kyle Dubas does return to hockey this upcoming season? Or do you think maybe he waits for an opportunity that he feels is best suited to what he wants to do professionally? It's literally impossible with the way that he framed his postseason comments. I, I do feel like he's going to end up in Pittsburgh. I don't Ooh. think I don't think the negotiations went the way he wanted them to in Toronto. I think he was trying to put all of his eggs in that basket and it didn't work. So he didn't actually, or maybe in the moment, I've I've said things in the moment that I don't agree with two weeks later. Maybe in the moment he was like, I'd Toronto or bust. And then it's like, well, Pittsburgh's nice with their little three rivers and Eaton Park and Mac Miller. So maybe he's turning around to that. Maybe Sidney Crosby has talked to him. I don't know. I feel like he's going to end up in Pittsburgh. Shayna, what do you think Kyle Dubas is doing six months from now? Based yeah, on no I, factual information, let's <laughs> just vibes. Based on vibes. Yeah, I, I do like the Pittsburgh fit to a point. And I I know people are going to be upset, too, that he said, like, it's Toronto or nothing. I think everything changed when Shanahan completely changed course with him that it's like, I'm sorry, anything you said doesn't count anymore. He, I think he was genuine. It's Toronto or yeah, nothing. I agree. And then everything got changed on him last minute because he was open and honest that at that point I would turn around and be like, 
fuck you. Now I'm going to go live my life. I'm not going to hold myself off. But Pittsburgh makes sense from the Fenway aspect of it because they do yeah. like people who are nerdier. They do like more data-driven analysis in their lines of thinking. You can look at what they did with the Red Sox. So it feels like there's a natural fit there because like Toronto, I think that they'd be willing to say, you can build your front office the way you want to and we'll invest in this you know, and actually have a concerted effort to give you what you need resource wise. But it's that is a tough fucking job. I know. That's a great point, though. They took yeah. Eric Tolsky to a few rounds of interviews and had really high praise for him at the end of all that. So and then they have Sam Ventura. He's he's still right there. Yeah, they got. No, he's well, Buffalo. he's in Buffalo. Oh, well, he was started there. He did yeah. start there. Yes, he did start there. And no, they would be smart to bring him back. But... Well, and it yeah. could be yeah. It, well, we're on the subject. It could be interesting because. Kyle, if Kyle Dubas, to your point, Shana wants to go higher, perhaps in Fenway as an entire body and not just stay within hockey, there's a clear path there, um, unlike other opportunities. So we will see what our what our good friend, friend of the pod, Kyle, wants to do. Kyle, we've given you some space, but now it's time to come on Too Many Men and tell us what you think. We'll have the invite out to you shortly. So stay tuned for that. Um, We won't twist your words like some of the hockey men out there and try to make you look bad just because you're not like (laughs) a hockey man enough for them. We'll be your friend. That's right. But let's we pers- are your friends. <laughs> we let's- are we're friends of the pod. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah. I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Go ahead, break it down. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit Chevy.com to learn more. Football's back, and Whole Foods Market is everything you need for a delicious tailgater watch party. Level up your game day hosting with marinated chicken wings, chicken sausages, hot dogs, and more. Headed to a friend's house? On the way, grab crowd-pleasing snacks from Whole Foods Market, like late-July tortilla chips and Primal Kitchen queso dip. And don't forget the beer. Very important. Just check out that local selection. Elevate game day with Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Let's proceed on to actual hockey that was happening. There's so much more news now than hockey. And since we last visited, the hockey has actually been interesting, but ultimately ended strangely. When we last talked, Dallas was looking down and out. They were coming back without their captain, Jamie Benn, who was suspended for two games. I think, honestly, we were all pretty sure that he was not going to see the ice again this season. But amazingly, Dallas does come back. They rattle off two wins, allowing Jamie Benn to come back for a game six. I think we all expected a huge battle. We know that Pete DeBoer has been perfect in deciding games. Jake Ottinger has always been lights out in elimination games. And instead, we got a dud. The Stars were shut out, and the Vegas Golden Knights take the Western Conference title. They will face the Florida Panthers. We'll preview that series in a second. But this game six was very disappointing to me. I don't know about the two of you. I'm going to frame this question a little differently than we usually do. I always find playoffs interesting because... We talk about, I've seen so much narrative about what went wrong with Dallas. Was Jamie Ben the problem? And we can talk about that. But I watched Dallas for the round prior. I watched Dallas a lot, particularly late in the season. And other than fatigue for their goaltender, this team looked really freaking good. And so to me, this begs the bigger question of what did Vegas do to make Dallas look so bad? It's not like Dallas instantly collapsed the minute they got on the ice against the Golden Knights, in my opinion. So, Sarah, did you see anything that Vegas was doing exceptionally well that maybe was part of the key to them winning this series over the Dallas Stars? It's what Shana says about their rush game. Just watching them is on a whole new level in that aspect, and it's how they can make a game 6-0 against a good team. It's like when they're on with that, that's why this upcoming matchup, we'll talk about that, but it's going to be so fun because it's two just really fast 
aggressively for checking teams that that's just what I love to see. And that's why, even though the stars are good, they've been good. I just hate their brand of hockey because it's the opposite of that. And it was such a mismatch that you could tell they were frazzled by the whole experience. I mean, you saw Jamie Ben, you say they didn't immediately show up and start crumbling, not in game six, but in that game, he literally was like, okay, Mark Stone, this is too much to handle. I'm just going to choke you. So Maybe he's the no, problem. no. He fell. He just yeah, fell. He it's fell. just well, Shayna. Okay, so let's take that one step further because if you did look at the Kraken Stars series, the Rush game was the story of that series too, and the Dallas Stars were able to outrush the Seattle Kraken. So if Vegas got the Rush advantage over the Stars, what went into that advantage for the Western Conference champions? Yeah, it's so interesting, too, because it's like this is a team. Dallas is one of the better teams in the regular season at controlling the neutral zone and, you know, limiting rush chances back, which is what gave them that five on five advantage heading into the series. It just felt like it was the counterattack from the Golden Knights that they were able to pick off these opportunities to stop the stars from having like extended zone time at, you know, at times. And I think what was so important to it was they built off the rush. They built off those counterattacks and would just start pressuring and doing the work in the offensive zone. And in games four and five, it was like non-existent for Vegas. They look like a completely different team and Dallas was able to play their game. But you could see in game six, the Golden Knights came out hot and knew they needed to play with speed to be disruptive and just to keep battling, to keep pucks in their own zone and make those I feel like we don't talk about it as defense enough but to keep play in the offensive zone and make defensive plays to extend that zone time is so important and it just feels like they had that when Dallas didn't as much in that deciding game so Sarah let's let's bite on to the narrative that everyone else is talking about and that is Jamie Ben. obviously an inexcusable play that gets him suspended we talked about that last episode How egregious is this for him going forward? There's people saying, and I'm not saying I agree, but there's, do you strip the C? To me, the more interesting question in all of this is to watch how someone like Jim Nill is going to, we talked about how he built up a young team in support of an an aging older wave. But now if you do that so effectively, now you have this problem where you maybe have some older players where you need to find a way to off ramp them when your younger talent is coming and taking up. Was Jamie Ben a liability this series and how, if at all, maybe it doesn't affect how you see this team utilizing him, having a relationship with him going forward from this season? I do think the whole team was in over their heads with this matchup. And when you're the captain, sometimes you're trying to overcorrect for that. You're, you're like, oh, shit, I know this is going to be a journey. So I get what he was doing to some I mean. He did it in like the worst way possible, but I get what he was doing to some degree. And I'm not going to say he's the reason they lost because then he came back and they still (laughs) laid a goose egg 6-0. So I do wonder though, if the dynamic that you speak of is hindering like Heinz, Robertson, whatever in the playoffs, because it's like, okay, let me sit back and let Sagan and Ben and like Joe Pavelski handle this, but I don't know. I think most of it goes just back to Ottinger. Yeah, yeah. Ottinger was, I mean, I think the more we hear about it, and, you know, I talked about my experience when the Kraken played them so quickly three times within like seven or eight days, that even back then they were talking about Ottinger's fatigue. Is that more significant to you, Shana, or does this Ben narrative factor in? And which of these two do you think this organization is going to focus on fixing more intently this offseason? I don't think they're going to be worried about Ottinger because I think that they're going to look at it and be like, he's never played a workload like this. Mm -hmm. And even in the games that he struggled in this series before game six, it was like slightly below average. Oh, misplaying overtime. Like they were still close games. It felt like the rest of the team wasn't capitalizing on the opportunities they had. They'd have these chances. They didn't score. And there's Vegas's counterattack. And it's like, they're not supporting their goalie for once. Like you, you need to do that. And they were pretty good at it. With Ben, though, I don't know how much they'll jump because he had a great regular season. We're all calling it the Jamie Benessons, and look at what he did, right? Like, I, he gets to the playoffs in this big pressure moment, and he completely shits the bed. And not just with the suspension. He played really crappy when, you know, it mattered. And that cap is tough to manage, and you could easily replace him, the captaincy, with someone like Haskinen and let the new core really take over. But it's going to be a really tough balancing act. I would have bigger problems with the contracts like Ryan Suter, thinking... 
that was a free agent signing. They felt they needed to go of all teams. You don't need to go older. If you're in Dallas, go for the young guys to keep building up that young core. You have the old guys who make too much money. Now you have Brian Suter who looked absolutely terrible. So often like that's, that's where your missteps were. Now you need to approach things differently this year and figure out a way in free agency to just keep supplementing the younger players in the next wave of the stars and not going back to players who were good 10 years ago. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Do you, to that point too, there's a couple free agents that I noticed in all of the Dallas Stars playoffs that were brought over at the trade deadline, and that's Max Domi and Dodonov. Sarah, do you think either of these players has earned a return appearance with the Stars, or are they just going to go find their next contract this offseason, do you think? Um, Dodonov was great, I thought. He had a few really, really big moments that kept the Stars in the playoffs, I thought. And... I would like to see him back if they're going to make another run, but I wouldn't like to see him back there because I actually want him to go somewhere else because I don't like watching the Dallas Stars. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Max Domi can stay. Yeah, take him. Resign him. Would love that. For that. <laughs> I'm fine with Max Domi leaving. Shayna, do you think either of those two, and, and Dodonov did get hurt, we should say, in the playoffs, so he was not able to play as much as Max down the stretch. But do if you're uh, Jim Nil, do either of these players be someone that you're contemplating picking up the phone and talking? to this offseason no Domi I think showed he's exactly what we we know him to be he still has problems with discipline in key moments he doesn't know how to like temper his frustrations the underlying numbers are always worse than the results so you kind of have to look at both to get a sustainability check and for Dodanoff I would want to keep him if I'm the stars but I think that they have young players someone like Frederick Ol- Olofsson, who came into the playoffs, and I thought he was really good. I would have kept him in for game six and scratched either Ben or maybe even Marchment for him. Like, I think those are the players you need to now find the room for, and I just don't see the need to take a roster spot away. You could see, like, players like Delandria and White Johnston succeeding because they got the ice time in minutes that we know Robertson and Hintz have gotten in the past. So now's the next player's time because now Robertson and Hintz are experienced and Delandria and Johnson have some time under their belt. Go for the the next young player to kind of slot in with someone like Foxa, who you trust, right? And you have that like responsible core around them. I think you can take the risk there. Amazing. Well, we'll see what the Dallas Stars do. I do believe they're having excerpt interviews as we talk to you all today. So we'll have to catch up on that and and see if we have. Can't any- wait to hear what Jamie says this time, oh, boy. And we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what they have. But friends, let us go to the tail of the tape. I have all of our playoff picks here. Let's look at the conference finals. Carolina, Florida. Sarah, you were a true stand to the end, but you were wrong. You picked Carolina in six. Shayna, you picked Florida in seven, so you get one point. And I picked Florida in six for one point. If we go to Dallas, Vegas, however, Sarah, you picked Vegas in seven, so you get one point. Shayna, you picked Dallas in seven, so you get zero points. And I picked Dallas in six. So through the conference finals, that round specifically, we are tied. It is time now to evaluate the upcoming Stanley Cup final, upon which we will make our final picks of the 2022-23 season. But as we discussed, Vegas is now facing Florida. The narrative about Florida has been how exceptional Bobrovsky has been in net, how exceptional Matthew Kachuk has been, not just on the ice, but also off in terms of bringing this team to relevancy across a lot of sports. And now he's going to go up against a player like Jack Eichel. On the other side, you have maybe not a massive goaltender, but you have talent up and down the lineup. We look at William Carlson. We love Mark Stone. We have Marcheseau, who I will always call Jam, even though he wants to drop his middle name. Sarah, what are the storylines most interesting to you as we sit here and wait for the end of this very long off time for the Florida Panthers to come back and face the Vegas Golden Knights for the Stanley Cup. I think it's fun that it's two good old American boys on their two old good old American teams and they are leading one American team to victory. And I don't even like America, but I do like to make fun of Canada. So (laughs) that is a win no matter who wins. So wait, who are your two Americans? Eichel? Eichel and Kachuk. Okay, okay. Is Kachuk, yeah. Yeah, he's from Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Born in Arizona. Arizona. You're good. You're good. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Yeah, okay. Are there more? 
No, only two. You have the greatest American player, Matthew Kachuk, who has now eclipsed Austin Matthews because this is how it affects the Leafs too. Exactly. He's the last great American dynasty. Many are saying. Hey, Tay Tay. All right. So, okay. So that's what you're looking for. What else? Anything? Obviously Bobrovsky and how far he can take them. The Conn Smythe. I don't know. I I just think it's got, do I say my prediction yet? Or are we just talking storylines? Not yet. Just storylines. There's that. There's the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference, right? Like who I we know that the East was a bloodbath and the Panthers showed that and they went through a lot of adversity to get their wins, but they ended up sweeping in the conference finals. So I think that's interesting. Now they had so much time off to rest. People are healthy. Like there's not many injuries on the team anymore. And the ones that were major came back throughout all these series and Vegas had an easier path out West, but are they going to be battle tested enough to deal with what the Panthers have already dealt with? You know, like the Panthers have played their hard, heavy hockey. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting because as I was thinking about this and, and the most common narratives that there were, people keep saying how important it is for Bobrovsky to get his rest, how important it is for Bobrovsky to get his rest. But if you remember back, and I'm probably the only person who does, Bobrovsky was the goaltender who swept Tampa Bay and then had another excessively long uh, time off before they went into round two against the Boston Bruins. And so did that entire roster. And that's arguably one of the most talented rosters that there was, particularly out of Columbus at that time. If you remember, that was stacked with Matt Duchesne, a lot of big moves at the end of the regular season to really stack that roster for a big playoff push. We've talked about in just the rest versus rust debate all season. Are we ignoring the possible impacts of rust on this Florida Panther team because we've been so enamored with the fact that Bob getting rest is a good thing? Maybe, but like, I don't know. It feels like they managed it pretty well before the last series too, but this was, this is 10 days. It's going to be 10 days. I, I wish we knew what they were doing are they scrimmaging? Are they doing like, how are they, what is, what is their pace? Cause like, I think we'll see it pretty obviously in game one, but it's, it's going to be an interesting narrative. I do think this is where coaching reigns supreme and is the most important thing. And you want a guy like Paul Maurice in there who has lost all these things. So now he knows like, okay, this is what I shouldn't have done during, what was it? uh, The hurricanes 2003 run. Yeah. He was behind the bench then. And who is he coaching then? Some might say greatest <laughs> player of all time, Rob Prinzimore. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, coaching. I'm interested in the actual point here. Yeah, just the point is, well, what is the line between keeping them game ready, no injuries, and absolutely you using all this rest to their advantage? But there's so much like technology these days like i've talked to bill berniston who's the head athletic trainer of the hurricanes and just the way they do these like breathalyzers and they do okay Mm. this is this guy's sweat and this is what he needs for optimal recovery and this is the like evening cocktail mocktail they can give him to make sure he rests and all of his blood is replenished like there's so much they can do these days that as long as they have hired the right people in that aspect i'm not really worried about rust. Dana, what are going to be the keys to the series for you knowing that this is going to be punch, counter, punch, punch, counter, punch, at least we hope it is. Yeah, it's definitely going to be like being responsible with the puck, with the puck in the neutral zone because you have two teams that can make you pay for it. I think it's going to be really interesting to see who's better at extending plays though, because we see Florida of last year was the best rush based team in the league. Yes, they've changed their style, but that is still like at their core and then they've gotten better with their four check. And I think it's really shining in the playoffs. And then you have Vegas who also has a balanced attack, but not as strong as Florida's, but in the playoffs too, I think they've gotten gotten better with their four check as it's gone along. The other thing is for Florida, the narrative all season was about like the team that couldn't finish their chances, right? They were one of the best offensive creators in the league and they didn't have the goals to show for it. And eventually you expect that to regress back to average if you keep up what you're doing and it has in the playoffs, but it's like, does it keep up? Like there, those are the things I think that might be kind of important here, but I still feel like five on five play is going to be the difference because like special teams, it feels like the two can neutralize each other out pretty well. 
These are two teams that I don't think any of us thought were going to be this deep in the postseason, let alone in the final, but they've done it. They've shocked us all season, one perhaps more convincingly than the other in the sense that Florida barely makes it in. They weren't even uh, in a playoff position 30% of the regular season, but yet here we are with two teams that the most we can hope for is great, great hockey for as long as possible. Here we are, Sarah. What is your pick for the Stanley Cup champion of this season and how many games will it take panthers and seven it's just the vibe they're going to spar back and forth but i think bobrovsky kachuk it's just like the one-two punch of that and then there's just sam reinhardt there's montour there's sam bennett who is going to give everybody hell constantly it's just they keep coming and they have that clutch factor Stana, your pick um, Panthers in six. And I think Bob is going to be a little more average this series like he was in that last game against the Canes. But I think the rest of the team's going to pick up the pace a little bit more to support him. Like, I think he'll be fine, but I don't think he's going to be the sole difference maker every single game now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Ugh, ugh, ugh. I have to pick Panthers. I have to keep sticking with them. I will be different and I will say Vegas in six, just literally to be different. That's literally, but also like, it's a coin flip this one. Like there's a very good chance you're going to be right. Like I would say like a 49% chance. You want the glory out West and I get that. Well, cause the Panthers are this like, it's kind of fun. This is the first series, right? That they're actually the favorite. Is that going to fuck them? Like, I don't know. By whom though? I have not seen everyone saying they're the favorite. Did the Athletics say they're the favorite? The Panthers are the favorite by the Athletic guests, but I think Oddsmakers have them as the favorite as well. But I might be wrong on that because I didn't bet on this series yet. I already have my bet on the Panthers, and I bet on them before the first round. Well, I think, okay, listen, but you keep saying this, but how many bets did you get wrong? I got other small ones wrong, of course, but the Panthers have gotten right the whole... That's I I didn't bet on many series, though. Uh I went to... In round one, I did, and I got, like, two wrong, and I was like, I'm done with this, and I just stuck with the Panthers each round, and I just kept asking Duke and being like, should I bet on this paw? And whatever she did, I just did it. Like, it would be, like, little things like in-game comebacks, but I bet, like, a dollar. Okay, but if we were counting straight wins and losses, we'll come back to that. I don't have the math Mm -hmm. on that. Now I have tennis bets in between. I'm like... All right, let's wrap this one up with everyone's favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. We continue our delightful journey through the major NHL awards. And this episode, it is the Vesna that is front of mind and on the tips of everyone's tongue. Sarah, my friend, you are up first. Are you ready? Fuck, Mary Kill, friend of the pod, Winnipeg's Connor Hellebuck. The Islanders, Ilya Sorokin, or Boston's Linus Allmark. Go. It's a tough one this year, but this is a regular season award, and I don't think Allmark should be penalized just because the rest of his team was so damn good. I think what he did was still better than other goaltenders. I think he had his breakout season, and I am going to give – the Vesna to Allmark. I'm going to okay. marry him. Okay. I'm going to fuck Sorokin. I think he was his team, like especially before Horvat, before all the excitement and um, when Barzal was out for so long and just like there was no offense in sight, I think. And there was no defense in sight really either. And they were still hanging on by a thread. I think Sorokin provided the juice for that team. He's the reason they got into the playoffs. And you could see that by how they failed so miserably in the first round. And I am going to kill Hellbuck. Love you, but... Kind of process of elimination. I it's hard because I think like Soros could have been in this too. I just think there's so many good goalies in all their different rights, and maybe it was about the friends we made along the way. But Alabuck and the Jets didn't make many friends, so we're killing them off. Dana, the floor is yours. I'm gonna kill Alan Buck, despite him being <laughs> our friend. I honestly think UC Soros deserved better. He was I. I maybe my winner of it all when you really think about like everything he did for his team so sorry connor um i hope you do better next year probably with the new team um because you deserve it i will i'm so torn on this one because i i think 
I'll fuck Sorokin. Mm. It's, it's really like hard. I don't want to I don't want to penalize Olmark for being on an excellent team. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck Olmark. He was on an excellent team. He was probably <laughs> the best goalie in his minutes. He didn't play as much. He had a lot more support. And Sorokin was not just the best goalie, but the most valuable goalie. And I think that counts for something. And I think if the Islanders didn't make the playoffs, everyone would have shit on Sorokin and not even put him on the ballot, just like Soros. So I think that's a problem. I will bring redemption along the way here, but I am going to marry Allmark. I will buy into the best team narrative and believe that the chemistry, not just uh, in front of the net, but between the netminder and in front of the net, helps feed the uh, excellence that happened in the regular season um, for that team. I will factor in the intangibles and fuck Connor Hellebuck because he's a good person and in the midst of basically being one of the few constants for his team this year, also ended up writing a children's book about mental health and we love him. Um, and therefore to be difficult ornery, but also to have a little fun, I will kill Sorokin because if you're the best, like this is where if I'm going to tie the team success with Allmark, then I have to tie the lack of team success with Sorokin. So that's where I will end up. All right. My friends, this is it. We are about to head into the final round of NHL hockey of this 2022-23 season. We will be with you along the way to break it down, give you our hot, hot takes, and talk about how, of course, it always affects the Leafs. If you want to interact with us on social, please connect. We are at two underscore much underscore man at both Twitter and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you there, especially if you send us your vibe checks from where you're watching these games. If you're in a piece or holding a piece of Too Many Men merch, you will be entered in a drawing for an end of season prize. And if you don't have Too Many Men merch and you would like to have some, you can get that by going to Too Many Men Merch dot com and buying all the wonderful toys, trinkets, treats, and clothing items that your heart desires, even a fanny pack or two. Until we talk again, we ask each of you to please consider doing something no matter how big or small to make sure hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.